We want the man who did this. No. No, that wasn't the deal. He's my father, and you can't have him! No! Oh no. Oh, please, please no. Uh, sorry. Goodness, I, I don't need another, I don't need another drink. I, I mean, I, I just got a drink last time, stewardess. I don't need another drink. It's all right. Can you hear me, Andrea? I'm like, I'm on this plane, you know. I'm, I'm on a plane headed to, headed to the UK. It's just, there's a lot of noise. There's a, a little bit of turbulence happening here. And then, and then, the, and it seems the stewardess keeps on offering me drinks. I think she, uh, I think she's got an eye for me, but you know, I only, I'm taking this trip because, you know, my eyes set on only one lady right now. And, uh gonna go find her so hopefully uh michael you dumb fool uh, you forgot all about our podcast pursuing women oh shit is that what we're doing today damn it yeah. i completely forgot my, you know it's just my 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 head is my head's in, in, in other places right now you know just sort of you know pursuing what i want out of out of this life which is which is to find to find the michael you're fired uh, as my co-host now taking applications yeah. to fill this position what book are we talking about this week i i'll try to wrap my head around this so this week the book is the hellbound heart by clive barker and the movie is hellraiser aka when acupuncture goes wrong (laughs) uh or right depending on who all right i mean i have to say of all the cenobites that was the hot one yeah, what about the, what about the, uh, the 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 only female one that's sort of like a miniature pinhead? Yeah, I don't know. I liked I like the sh- the lines. I like a grid, a nice grid on someone's face. Yeah, you didn't like the guy with like you know his throat like cut open. I mean, it was kind of cool, a little bit too ham-fisted, but huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, so. it's a uh, it's Hellraiser, which was a book written by Clive Barker and. Uh, I already said that. He. Oh fuck! You are so extra fired. I'm I'm reiterating what you said, and just and it was also this movie is also directed by Clive Barker because yes, Andrea, I agree. It was written by Clive Barker. Excellent. Yes, but 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 you didn't get into the fact that the movie is also directed and written by him, which is something we haven't done yet. Where the where the author of a book is also the director and. Uh, and the screenwriter for for their movie adaption. Um, I guess that's a good so, point. I didn't know that. Yeah. So so wonder. Oh look look who's unprepared. <laughs> wow, this um, podcast has stopped being fun, and uh, it's just gonna be a roasting <laughs> session between the two of us. So enjoy. It uh, could be fun. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, so directed by Clive Barker because a couple of his other stories have been ad- were adapted before this and he was pissed off. So he was like, all right, I'm going to direct this, though I have no knowledge of film at all. So we got the Hellbound Heart, or known as Hellraiser. Perfect. Which, which is one of the biggest changes in this film <laughs> from, from book to movie is, is the title. Yeah. I think a lot of things were um, kept for the most part. I think they actually cut out a lot of the sex because this book has a bunch of sex. Let me tell you. Oh, oh yeah. So this film was rated X, and he had to cut a bunch of things. Like there was, there was definitely one sex scene they cut. They cut uh, a couple of really grotesque. Um, 
uh shots there was like the the the, the scene with the hammer um like there's like apparently like a close-up and the hammer gets lodged into the victim's head there's a uh, close-ups of when christy like sticks her hand into frank's stomach and it, like it exposes his guts that was pretty great um yeah but like it was supposed to be like like you know there's a lot more to it that they had to cut and what else there was uh oh yeah the fight at the end um frank slash rory uh his head's supposed to explode that's cut from the film yeah they kind of uh, had him getting impaled by hooks and then we didn't get to see him getting ripped apart um yeah which i was actually really thank looking you. forward to well you can thank uh 1987's MPAA so I feel like all that shit would be totally fine in, t- in today's world but for back then that was considered too much and gave gave this movie an X rating until they cut it to get an R rating I don't like that well one of the weird changes as well to me I guess mm-hmm. it didn't matter too much but you know in the book uh, Christy is a friend to this couple and in love with Rory and in the movie they made her uh, Rory's child yeah I guess it didn't affect too much uh, because you know it doesn't I kind of like it in a way um, because it sort of changes up the whole you know fucking weird love connection between everything which I mean I guess is kind of the theme of the story this um and it gives the come to daddy line a more ominous thing because he's taken over her dad's body so that's kind of cool right so i i actually like that choice and it is it's just like i feel like christy just sort of like showing up because isn't it kind of like didn't in the book they moved this was this was their grandmother's house i think it's the same thing in the movie but it's their grandmother's house she died and Frank had been living in it. Right. Frank had been living in it. It's technically owned by Frank and Rory. And so Rory hasn't seen Frank in forever and decides, hey, I'm just going to kind of just take this house for myself and move me and my wife and in the movie my child into it. But so it's just to me in the I guess it, it's, it can make sense. You know, I guess maybe if this is like a small town, like, you know, people don't leave their small town and Christy just so happened to. Because I sort of got the vibe that they moved towns. Maybe that's just my own thinking and putting my own perception into it. And so it just seemed kind of weird that his friend lived close by. I don't know. So I kind of like the whole uh, Christy being the child. And it also it helps for the, the sequel as well, which has nothing to do with this book. But I do like Hellraiser 2 better than Hellraiser 1, though. That's not what we're talking about, but um, <laughs> it's just because like th- th- it goes into more lore of the the, the Cenobites in two than it does in one, and it's just cool. And you get to see you get to see the Cenobite realm, which you don't at all in this film. So that does sound cool. Um, I'll have to check that out sometime because you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Whenever you whenever you find time. Whenever <laughs> that fucking happens. I did do some research. I'm not useless. So one thing that was interesting is people had really mixed reviews on this movie. Um, apparently, mm-hmm. some some people thought it was fantastic and um, 
The Melody Maker said it was the greatest horror film in Britain, and Roger Ebert said it had a bankruptcy of imagination. But to be fair, the budget was one million and the box office was fourteen point six million, so you know they did what they came to do. <laughs> oh yeah, they did. They it was a success, and it's I mean it's low budget horror, but like they used that low budget to its fullest. Oh, the effects were pretty damn cool. I'm not going to oh, lie. Like, yeah, that's something yeah. that struck me. So, you know, things age in weird ways. I think the the sex scenes were awkward as hell and that felt a bit <laughs> dated. I didn't I did not like it. I was like the no, that's nothing about this is hot. I'm not feeling <laughs> It was like but there's that's that totally weird what moment sex is like. where yeah, but when um Frank cut off her bra strap and then he awkwardly gropes her boob on top of the bra that's still on. I'm just like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, it's there's some weird choices visually. I mean, it's probably because you know Clive Barker's first time directing. Like he, this is, this wasn't really his element, and yeah, there's certain things. I mean, the story itself is pretty damn edgy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I mean, um, uh, I know sex is a hard thing to show and i mean he describes things pretty well in the novel so um he's written it pretty well but yeah just the visuals Mm -hmm. there were awkward but what was beautiful is so you've got that sort of time lapse sequence when frank is coming together as the blood is building him up i thought that was insanely incredible especially for the time and um i did love that shot so oh at the very beginning when you've got frank in the room with the box they have the light come through the slats in the window one by one. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really cool. And then when um, Kirsty's in the hospital room, the blood going back up into the IV. I don't know why. That just, that was pretty. <laughs> yeah, the, re- the reverse shots are fantastic. There's a lot of cool visual stuff. There's also, like, some shitty shots in there. But, like, for, like, all of, like, the grotesque and horror scenes, it's usually, it was typically pretty good um it's just sort of the mundane shots are for like just like the normal dialogue and stuff are just kind of boring but i guess that's fine (laughs) costume design's fantastic of course in this film uh all the cenobites look great yeah pinhead especially especially that really creepy like fat one (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's all slimy (laughs) um so is this is this is this is this is this book uh, or story in general just like you know a coming to Jesus moment for all of us you know don't uh don't commit adultery and and seek pleasures of the world and you won't get hooked by uh these these beings in 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 this other realm I mean demons this whole thing had a very... Going through Dante's Inferno and seeing people getting punished. Right. Which I don't know well, if that was intended, but... I mean, it might have been. I just know with the later Hellraisers... I mean, pretty much you only needed to watch the first couple of them. It's sort of... Basically, it's these beings that have been in this realm that their taste for pleasure is completely different. Because all of the... This is just spoilers for... I don't. Do you want me to spoil the next film for you? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> so, 
Pinhead and all the Cenobites were actually originally humans as well, but they got trapped. And I believe it's been a while since I've watched them. Um, they got trapped and they forget that they're humans anymore and they become these Cenobites because there's technically these other beings that are over them. Like you think that Pinhead is the most powerful being of the Gash, but he's not. Um, he's also being controlled and puppeted by another being um, in that realm. And so it's uh, it's just like a nice twist on these these beings are also ones that sort of were seeking things. And it's not it's like I, if I remember correctly, they're not all seeking pleasure like Frank was. They were seeking other things. That makes sense. Mm hmm. So, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, the story's good. I mean, like, I'm trying to think, is there any, like, that's, that's the issue with this, that we're going to be talking about this one is there's not too much different because the book is, the movie was made by the same director, so there's not really many choices. They, he, Clive Barker clearly wanted everything to be exactly as he had it for the most part. Um, I'm going to talk about some points I had about the novel as well, specifically. Um, yeah, go ahead. So at the start of chapter... Oh, God, sorry. Paper crinkling noises. <laughs> chapter three. Look, there was a lot of stuff I liked about this book, but this... Um, <laughs> Alright, so we start off talking about the seasons. Yeah. The seasons long for each other like men and women in order that they may be cured of their excesses. That line's fine, but then we go into Spring, if it lingers more than a week beyond its span, starts to hunger for summer to end the days of perpetual promise. Summer, in turn, soon begins to sweat for something to quench its heat, and the mellowest of autumns will tire of gentility at last and ache for a quick sharp frost to kill its fruitfulness. Even winter, the hardest season, the most implacable, dreams as February creeps on, of the flame that will presently melt it away, everything tires with time and starts to seek some opposition to save it from itself. Parts of that are okay, but like this whole rambling on about the seasons, I was like, this is why people don't like to read. I was like, I'm just getting a very <laughs> Charles Dickens, like overdone description of time and place. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it can, it can work in certain stories. It doesn't work for this one. Yeah, especially because the rest of it is, like, pretty direct, pretty, like, things are happening, it's moving along fast. And it makes sense, too, because, like, that Clive Barker writes in that style, because he's, he started off as a, uh, as a playwright, so in his early 20s he was writing plays, and so it makes sense when he started writing novels and longer form literature, he, his writing is very matter-of-fact, not a lot of description too much not too much description it's it's almost written like a play especially like some of the dialogue some of the dialogues a little rough and parts but yeah and especially so if we contrast with all right so if you're joining us and you don't know hellraiser again i don't know why you're here we're not i mean we're entertaining but not that <laughs> they like hearing our voices uh, clearly <laughs> shit all right so um julia and rory have moved into a house and this house has the ghost of 
you know, Rory's dead brother who Julia has hooked up with because Julia's a bad, bad lady. And on her fucking wedding day. On her dress, like literally on top of it. <laughs> yeah, it's fucked. That's that's so fucked. Um, so to bring her dead paramour back to life, she has to bring him sad, sad men who think they're finally getting lucky and feed them to him. So don't be mm-hmm. like Julia, but we're at the scene um, right at the end of chapter 7 and I'm just doing this to contrast the writing and I actually really liked the way this part was written and it was kind of hot. I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of hot. But we've now been at the second victim and you know, Frank's coming together and he's saying, oh this is dangerous, I'm gonna have to find new ways to hide. And then, and then he was kneeling in front of her. His unfinished hands were at her hips, then his mouth. Forsaking the dregs of her distaste, she put her hand upon his head and felt the hair, silken like a baby's, and the shell of his skull beneath. He had learned nothing of delicacy since he'd held her, since last he'd held her, but despair had taught her the fine art of squeezing blood from stones. With time, she would have love from this hateful thing or know the reason why. I mean, look, I'm not saying you cheat on your husband and then, you know, with his brother and then bring his brother back to life by feeding him other men. But if you will, he owes you at least some cunnilingus. And I don't know, like it was, (laughs) (laughs) it was pretty hot. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, women out there, if you ever need to get your man to go down on you, the, the easy trick is to, you know, bring him back to life by help by murdering a bunch of other men it's it's a simple trick like it's all it takes it's not it's not that hard yep <laughs> um but yeah a lot a lot of the writing i especially that last line she would have love for the from this hateful thing or know the reason why i was like that's just a really well written fucking line yeah and as much as i i i, I hate julia and frank as characters and people in general because they're shitty um i do i do like they both have like a lot of like contradictions about them which i think makes them very human and sort of what is it like julia you know she has like this extreme lust or love for frank uh but at the same time she's scared of him and she's slowly she's slowly uh realizing what she's doing and how horrible it is and that he's not he's kind of using her but at the same time she's so far in on this murder scheme that she can't really lose him it's nice and also i guess maybe plays into maybe a topic about like abusive relationships and how hard it is to break away from things um so uh or when you do something shitty and especially within a relationship within Julie and Rory's relationship and and it, it's sort of I mean it's all basically her uh romantically and somewhat sexually uh cheating on her husband it's hard to you know change and make that change to actually fix the thing that needs to actually be fixed which is her and Rory's relationship and whatnot so yeah there were some nice human moments 
in this book of in this story of horror and grotesqueness true i mean i'm gonna read one last passage because um julia no, keep going let's just can we just read the whole book i'm gonna read the whole book y'all <laughs> <laughs> so you know julia it does not end well for our imperfect heroine she um has this fight with why did I call her the hair? I don't know. I don't know. Michael saved me. Okay, so <laughs> she has this whole tussle with uh, Christy, Kirsty. I don't know. I'm supposed to say her name. They have this whole tussle, and Frank is all like rapey, rapey towards Kirsty. I never know what that was supposed to be doing, but he just wants to fuck everything still. So that's nice. That's nice for Frank. Which kind of, like, in some ways kind of blows my mind after everything he's been going through that he still has this... I guess, like, he now has, like, an even more unquenchable desire for yeah. things. Just because he's now been given what's considered the greatest pleasure and pain anyone could ever go through. So, I guess maybe that's why he's acting like this. Because I'm yeah, assuming he Frank, wasn't always like this. Frank just sounds like one of those really rich dudes who thinks he's tried everything and now wants to go to a foreign country and kill someone that people obtain for him <laughs> yeah. with this whole room full of torture tools that's who frank is um so don't be like frank either guys but yeah so at this scene don't be like got, a lot of these characters dude they all fucking suck <laughs> christy might be the only good one yeah pretty much so you've got uh kirsty and julia tussling and then it all ends with julia getting stabbed and uh christy keeps running away and she says you know frank she realized frank is not following her and julia's appeals for help had diverted him to where she lay halfway between the stairs and front door he drew the knife from her side she cried out in pain and as if to assist her he went down on his haunches beside her body she raised her arm to him looking for tenderness in response he cupped his head his hand beneath her head and drew her up toward him. As their faces came within inches of each other, Julia seemed to realize that Frank's intentions were far from honorable. She opened her mouth to scream, but he sealed her lips with his and began to feed. She kicked and scratched the air all in vain. So that was pretty cool. I wish I saw that in the movie. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Um, Could have been something they had to, to, to cut just because. You're watching MPAA a woman become a husk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just because you mentioned it earlier and I just happened to be looking at the wiki. Uh, when you were talking about the awkwardness of this, the sex scene and like the whole knife flick and stuff. Originally, they shot like this super erotic sex scene. It was like really explicit. Um, but the studios told them no. The studio said no. And they, what was it? they said, they said, no, let's take out the sodomy and put in the knife and put in the flick knife if so, that just doesn't summarize the united states's view towards censorship i swear i don't understand it like they think boobs are more damaging than oh well violence this isn't a this isn't a this is a this is a uk film it's not Shit. it's not it's a um like so that's another difference between the 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 book and the movie was the books in the UK, because Clive Barker's British, and uh, the studio forced him to make it set in the United States. 
So they had to overdub some characters because of British accents. They left Julia's in, which was interesting. Yeah. Probably because that would be really horrible to have one of the main characters be overdubbed the entire yeah. time. But, yeah, there's there's some dubbing, and you can obviously notice it in in the movie. But, yeah, it's a, it's a British story, and the studio forced them to make it the United States for some fucking reason. Like, what does that even... Like, I don't know. Producers and fucking studios come up with the stupidest ideas that make no sense and don't affect stories at all. Like, how does that make the story any better? Can we dedicate the last part of our podcast to just complaining about censorship rules? Because I could do that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh... <laughs> That's the content you guys are here for, right? <laughs> fuck the MPAA. And... I mean... I. I don't know. It's like I get I get the I get the you know, rating rating things. But the fact that you know, th- there's like some really good NC-17 films out there and uh X-rated films that never really make it to mass theaters. And it's sort of let's just put them out. If people want to see it, they can see it. People have a choice. We live, we're su- I thought, you know, we're supposed to l- live in a country where people can choose to do stuff or not. I'm sure not every, N- having an NC-17 rating doesn't make it better, but it, there are certain stories that can call for it if it's done right. And so just let the story be what the story needs to be. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I have a story now. I'm sorry, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm all over the place here. I had a, bo- a whole bottle of wine last night, so I must be excused slightly. Um, <laughs> wow, so professional. Okay, so when I turned 17, it was very exciting because Inglorious Bastards had just come out. And somehow I knew in my bones it was going to be a movie I would love forever. So I'm trying to go with all my friends. We show up at the mall. I'm excited. I'm like dressed up. I'm like, fuck yeah, it's my birthday. We're about to see some Quentin Tarantino violence. Of course, I didn't think about the fact that while I'm 17, I can't just buy people's tickets because, you know, people have to be ID'd individually. So now we have this issue of we can't go, but I'm like, no, 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 you won't stop me. So we pretended we were going to see Transformers and we bought tickets to Transformers and then went into the other theater. And it kind (gasps) of, like, this is the problem. We gave Transformers money when it should have gone to what did end up being one of my favorite movies. And that's not okay. This is what you force us to do with these dumb ratings. I agree that probably are some... The issue, too, is it depends on the person and whatnot. And that's where ratings can be an issue. But I also understand ratings to sort of help guide the populace to sort of understand what kind of film they're going into but at the same time i guess that's what trailers are for so you should trailers should be as honest as possible and pretty much give you an idea of what you're getting into though you know there's a lot of trailers out there that are made in a way to make you think you're watching some a certain thing and then you're actually watching something else because marketing is a thing and (laughs) 
Fuck marketing. I hate marketing. But also, like, I just feel people are mature enough to see mature content earlier. And not to, like, okay, that's the issue I have with how society views things. We've got, you know, you have to be 17 to see an R-rated movie, but the age of consent in Georgia is 16. How does that make sense? Oh, no, I'm with you on that. And how does this line up? Uh, well, it's it's just it's part of the unfortunate with, with the United States, you know, you you go through the whole puritan culture that has lingered within America for way too long and had its has had its hold on pretty much everything and we've been slowly breaking away from it finally. But um what was I going to say? Oh, you, it, on top of that, it's sort of so at a young age I was able to watch R-rated films basically if they were about war or violence or like it's really weird like like I grew up you know conservative and and whatnot but it was okay for me to watch basically like you know I I watched the movie The Patriot when I was like I don't know 12 13 whenever the fuck that movie came out and like people's heads get blown off with a cannonball like that's fine to watch but other films other r-rated films aren't like it's it's strange how we create these weird standards of what's right and wrong and for some reason extreme violence with within war is fine for a young kid at least that's how my parent that's what my parents thought so. yeah i'm lucky my parents kind of had the opposite thing although they didn't really stop me from seeing anything from a young age i grew up on you know all sorts of HBO stuff and lucky you. No, yeah, they were really chill about it. Um, the one time I know they stopped me was, uh, I think I was in eighth grade and they started watching Gangs of New York with their friends and it was just that intro like brutal fight scene where my mom's like, "Is this gonna be the whole movie?" And she's like, "Maybe, maybe wait on this one. Go, go to your room." And I was like, really offended because it was the first time it ever happened. And I was like, "This is fine. Also, this is really cool." <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I think they did well. And I'm glad the thing they really actually made me step away from was something violent instead of just, oh no, it's a body. Shield your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized, is Gangs of New York a, a book? I don't know, but if it is, AA. We're looking it up right now. We're gonna t- taking a side break to look this up real quick. And it is. <laughs> okay, had it. Add it to the list. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, that's going to be one we definitely do. <laughs> Written in fucking 1928. Damn. Well, that's and, uh, exciting. Yeah. So, that would be great. I'm looking forward to that. Anyways, back to the one we're actually talking about. Back to what we're uh, here for. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just realized. Okay. So, the working title of the film, I, I just went back to the wiki. Um it was originally made under the working title of Sadomasochists from Beyond the Grave. <laughs> you know, I like that. So do I. That's such a great working title. They should have kept it. And apparently Hel- uh, Barker wanted to keep the film called Hellbound, but the uh, producer suggested Hellraiser. Hmm. So, Which, I mean, I kind of like the name Hellraiser. So <laughs> I think that was a good choice. Yeah. Way to go, Christopher Fig. Christopher Fig. Good job, man. Um, do you have anything else on this? Because unfortunately, it, it is a short 
movie and a short book, so I don't have too much on it. You know, I don't think so. I've gotten out my uh. thoughts. You should read it. It's a it's a nice read. It's a nice little uh, Halloween book. I know Halloween's over, but not in our hearts. So what? No, but but today is the Day of the Dead. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> The spookiest day of them all. Hey, that's how we tied in Harry Potter this week is the ooh noise, so. <laughs> ooh. Yeah, I unfortunately couldn't find any connections, which is real shame. Well, uh, they were both made in the UK. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, so that's it from me. I don't know. It was, it was fun to read. I like the movie. I've always liked Hellraiser. But uh, unfortunately, our tales of darkness and horror are are over, and we're going in a new direction for the month of November. Exactly. What that direction is, well, we can't say, but you can look forward to work such as um, 1984, some V for Vendetta. Yeah. Which, is, which will be uh, this upcoming week will be V for Vendetta. Yes, and that'll be will. interesting because I, I know there's so many differences between the movie and the and the graphic novel so it'll be interesting and uh yeah november will be an interesting month well thanks for joining us this has been yep fun <laughs> it's been fun it's been full of horror and tales of depravity mp mp double a you know ruining things yeah thanks obama i don't Mm-hmm. He he. It was his <laughs> fault. The MPA struck down so hard in the eighties. <laughs> totally his fault. Um. But yeah. Thank you. And you know, stay safe. And until next time, read a fucking book. Specifically, V for Vendetta, so you can read along with us. Yeah. And and that one's got pictures. It's in got it. pictures. And some people really need pictures to have their interest kept. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I'm not naming yeah. names, but you know. I mean, I love fucking graphic. Go novels, out and so vote, everyone. I'm. Oh yeah, do that too. That's <laughs> go out uh, and vote next week, and then and then read our book. Well, unless you're the listeners from other countries, then you know, just sort of, you know. If you're in another country, just, harass just people you know you in the United States to vote, but not on Facebook through creepiness. Uh, don't do that. Yeah. No influencing elections, people. You heard it from us. And we are the uh, we are the moral right of this entire country. So always listen to us. Oh no! You solved the box. We came. Now you must come with us. Taste our pleasures. Oh no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering.